0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. The word methodology is a noun, and it's defined as a system of methods used in a particular area of study or activity. Now, in the aquarium hobby, we love the idea of subscribing to an approach to keeping our tank, don't we? That's just something we like to do. There's something very satisfying and comforting to many hobbyists, and having a sort of roadmap to follow in order to achieve a desired, perhaps predictable, set of results is something we enjoy. Now, over the years, there have been many, many methods and techniques to accomplish lots of different stuff in the aquarium hobby. Some have been ridiculously successful and really easy to replicate. Some things that we have labeled as methods over the years were really just ways to sell a product. And it gets me thinking, is the botanical style aquarium a method? Well, I believe that it is definitely a method or an approach an approach and likely a method. Sure. Okay. (laughs) And it's quite different than most any other that we play with in the hobby. It's different because the aesthetics, although fantastic, are not the primary purpose of this approach. The big idea here is to foster a diverse and highly functional ecology within the aquarium through the use of a diversity of natural materials. So here's what we preach. We preach that an aquarium is a miniature closed ecosystem subject to the influence of external inputs and outputs, And we believe that an aquarium can utilize all sorts of natural materials to not only create a structural habitat, but to encourage and foster the growth of different types of organisms, biofilms, fungal growths, and other beneficial microfauna. In fact, you could say that just about everything we do with the botanical-style aquarium is optimized to foster biology. So first of all, this is a no-dogma zone. Sure, we have some opinions and ideas of how we like to run our tanks. We believe in experimentation and trying different things. However, we don't assert that our approach is the single best way to do stuff. Not, is it not the only way to do stuff? It's just a way, an approach. We can learn from every single approach and method of aquarium keeping. Everyone has some validity and some ideas that you can pull from. Mix and match like you want, you know, evolve stuff if you wish, and have fun in the process. So, That's my thinking on approaches and methodologies. But here's some fundamental components of our approach. For those of you that have been with us for some time, you're used to hearing me talk about this stuff, but some of you may not have heard this as concisely in one place before. So we'll just kind of go over it. We start at the bottom, literally. We utilize a substrate that not only fosters a diverse ecological assemblage of organisms, but one which does not have excessive amounts of buffering capability. So in other words... Materials like silica would be a good start. If you're into our sedimented substrates, which we'll talk about later, they'd be a really useful material to use. Planted aquarium substrates are also potentially useful as they tend to acidify the water rather than raise the pH or buffer it. We're into adding materials like bits and pieces of botanicals and leaves, twigs, and other materials into the substrate layer. The reasons for this are multiple. Now first, we found over the years that the decomposition of materials like leaves and bits of botanicals fuel biofilms and fungal growths. In addition to providing a substrate for them to attach to, these organisms process these materials directly, particularly the aquatic hyphomycetes, the fungi. Now why do we want these life forms in our tanks? Because not only do they process nutrients within the aquatic ecosystem, but they serve as a supplemental food for higher organisms ranging from minute crustaceans all the way up to our fishes. They help facilitate a food web within our aquariums. Having this sort of in-situ cultural facility within the substrate makes a lot of sense as the organisms have a place to grow and multiply, which offers a huge surface area, little in the way of disturbance from fishes, assuming that you're not keeping fishes that dig extensively, and a large amount of material upon which to draw upon for sustenance. It's a pretty good situation for these guys. In our world, The substrate is not an afterthought. Rather, it's a place where all kinds of biological activity occurs that supports the aquarium. It's a place where supplemental food production for our fishes takes place and a diverse ecology which supports the aquarium's ecosystem can arise. We're big fans of what we call sedimented substrates, as I just talked about before. These are aggregates of clays, sands, and sediments. Little unconventional in the hobby, and something that hasn't been used much before. But let's talk more about this sedimented substrate thing. Now, we describe our products, the Nature Baseline that we that we launched about you know about a year ago. We describe these products as sedimented substrates because that's what they are. They consist largely of clays, sand, soil, and other materials, mainly mineral sediments which mimics some of the properties of the soils of South America and other tropical locales that we here find so compelling. Now, one of the first questions people ask about our soils is what makes them different than the other stuff on the market? Well, I can go on and on and on and get into this real infomercial thing, but quite simply, the answer is that these substrates were formulated to replicate the terrestrial soils of some of these habitats, which become inundated during seasonal rains and flooding. In other words, they're not designed to necessarily replicate the bottom of a typical, you know, permanent stream. They're designed to replicate a uh, forest floor or a uh, a, a sort of a a, a savanna environment where you'll see sediments and so forth collecting during the dry season. Forest floor soils in tropical areas are known by soil ecologists or geologists as oxisols, and they have varying amounts of clay sediments and minerals like quartz and silica, and various types of organic matter. So it makes sense that when flooded, these ingredients will have a significant impact on the aquatic environment. This recipe is not only compositionally, you know, different than the typical off-the-shelf aquarium sands and substrates, it looks and functions differently too, as you might suspect. They weren't designed from the get-go to replicate, again, say a river, a stream, or lake substrates writ large. No, no, no. And they weren't intended to be a go-to substrate to replace the standard commercially available aquarium sands because A, they're hand-mixed, And therefore, more expensive. We have to mix these things by hand with all the ingredients that we compile. B, they're not specifically aesthetic enhancements. And C, they're not formulated to be general aquatic plant substrates, although they really grow plants well. Uh, And D, because of their composition, they'll add some turbidity and even some tint to the aquarium water, at least initially. Not everybody can handle that. Rather, the intention was that our, you know, releases, Varzea and Agapo, the two main soils that we offer, in addition to a few more that we're working on, they were formulated to be transitional substrate materials, starting out as terrestrial, able to grow some grasses and plants, and eventually becoming saturated and ultimately submerged, transitioning to a fully aquatic substrate material and influencing the environment all along the way. They were perfect for use in our urban agapo simulations, which is exactly what we developed them for, you know, that classic case of scratching your own itch. Of course, this begs the question, can't they just be used like conventional aquarium substrates from the start? Again, the answer is, yeah, they could. However, what'll happen because of their ingredients is that they'll create cloudy turbid water in your aquarium for a while. There's a reason why materials like fine clays and mineral sediments haven't been particularly popular ingredients in aquarium substrate before. <laughs> That's a big part of it. Some of the materials will not saturate immediately and cause this turbidity for several days or maybe even longer. Ultimately, however, the materials will settle out and you'd be good to go. If you're okay with this initial turbidity, go for it from day one. Oh, and you shouldn't rinse this stuff. Use it right out of the bag. One of the real pleasant surprises, as I touched on, of the nature-based mine that we worked with, and it wasn't really a surprise for us, but it made sense, uh, is that they do grow plants, uh, aquatic plants specifically, and quite well, actually. I guess it was a little surprise to us because some of the ingredients that we use in our formulations aren't specifically well known for growing plants. However, others are more nutritious and the pluses outweigh the minuses apparently. Okay, enough of this mini infomercial on sediment and substrates. The point was, substrates are really important. And... Yeah, we add a lot of botanical material to the substrates that we play with in our tanks. It's another fundamental aspect of what we do. It's part of the way that botanicals actually work in aquatic environments. The texture and the chemical composition of the botanicals' exteriors is really well-suited for the recruitment and growth of, you guessed it, biofilms and fungal populations, which are important for the biological diversity and the operating system of our aquarium, as we've talked about a million times here. This is such an easily overlooked benefit of using natural materials in the aquarium. It just drives me crazy. I know this is starting to sound really, really familiar. And of course, as we know, terrestrial botanical materials, when submerged in water for extended periods of time, decompose. Now, if there's one aspect of our botanical style aquariums which fascinates me above almost anything else, it's the way they facilitate the natural processes of life, specifically decomposition. Decomposition is fundamental to the botanical style aquarium. We use this term a lot around here. Now, what precisely does it mean? Well, the definition of decomposition is the process by which organic substances are broken down into simpler organic matter. It's a pretty apt descriptor if you ask me. We add leaves and botanicals to our aquariums and over time they start to soften, they break up and ultimately decompose. Decomposition of leaves and botanicals not only liberates substances contained within them, lignin or, you know, organic acids and tannins, just to name a few, not only, you know, liberates these, these substances into the water, it serves to nourish bacteria, fungi, and other microorganisms and crustaceans, facilitating that basic food web within the botanical-style aquarium, just as it does in nature, if we allow it to. Again, we touched on this before many times, but it's just so important. Utilizing botanical materials and leaves in your tank and leaving them until they fully decompose is as much about your aesthetic preferences as it is long-term, the long-term health of the aquarium. I'm a leave-in-in kind of guy. I tend to favor nature, of course, but that's just me. It's a decision that each one of us makes based on our taste, our management style, and how much of a mental shift we've made into expecting or accepting that, you know, transient nature of materials in a botanical-style aquarium. There really is no right or wrong here. I mean, I'm going to tell you it's right to leave them in, but it's about how much you enjoy what happens in nature versus what you can control in your tank. Nature's going to utilize them completely as she does in the wild. That's just how they work. And of course, we can't ever lose sight of the fact that we're creating and adding to a closed aquatic ecosystem. Every once in a while, some wise guy will point out, well, you know, all this stuff breaks down and in a small tank, it's not nature. No shit, Sherlock. Of course, it's not nature. It's a closed aquarium and I don't have any illusions about that. And our actions and how we manage our tanks have to map to our ambitions, our tastes, and they have to follow the regulations that nature imposes upon us. Like you've got to do water changes. You've got to not overstock and overfeed. This is not rocket science. Yes, anything that you add into your aquarium that begins to break down is blah, bioload. Everything that imparts proteins, organics, etc., into the water is something that you need to consider. However, it's always been my personal experience and opinion that in an otherwise well-maintained aquarium with regular attention to husbandry, stocking, and maintenance, that the burden of botanicals in your water is surprisingly insignificant. Even in test systems where I intentionally neglected them, by conducting only sporadic water exchanges. Once it hit my preferred, you know, population of botanicals by building them up gradually, I've never ever noticed significant phosphate or nitrate increases that would be, you know, attributed to their presence. Never had any kind of water quality issues. Understand that the process of decomposition is a fundamental necessary function that occurs in our aquariums on a consistent basis and that botanicals are the fuel which drives this process. Realize that the botanical style aquarium is a system that on many levels attempts to replicate the function of natural habitats and botanical materials are just part of the equation. Every once in a while I'll get an email from somebody saying, Oh, there's this goo growing on my my leaves that I threw in. And I'm thinking, What what were you thinking? How could you get into this game and not know that this is about fueling biological activity, that you wouldn't have breakdowns in biological activity and decomposition and biofilms and fungal growth. You need to read, you need to go beyond the the YouTuber's fancy picture of his tank pristine with leaves on the bottom, because that ain't reality. Think about this. So again, leaves and all that stuff, you know, they offer not only unique Aesthetics, they offer enrichment of the aquatic habitat through the release of all these substances as they decompose just like they do in nature. Leaves and botanicals are simply not permanent addition to our scapes. And if we wish to enjoy them in their more intact forms, we need to replace them as they start to break down. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just requires us to do some stuff if we're expecting a specific aesthetic. This is very much replicates the processes which occur in nature, doesn't it? Stuff like seed pods and leaves either remains in situ as part of the local aquatic habitat, or it's pushed downstream by wind and current, and, of course, new materials continuously fall into the waters from the trees to replace the old ones that either decompose or get swept downstream. Pretty much everything we do in a botanical-style aquarium has a natural analog to it, which I find, again, rather fascinating. Despite their impermanence, though, these materials function as... Diverse harbors of life, ranging from fungal and biofilm mats to algae to microcrustaceans and even epiphytic plants. Decomposing leaves, seed pods, and tree branches make up the substrate for this complex web of life, which helps the fishes that we're so fascinated by to flourish. Again, these materials are typically broken down by fungi and bacteria in aquatic environments. Inputs of terrestrial materials like leaf litter and seed pods into aquatic habitats can leach dissolved organic carbon, rich in lignin and in cellulose, into the water. Factors like light intensity, mineral hardness, and the composition of the aforementioned bacterial or fungal community all affect the degree to which this material is broken down into its constituent parts in these environments. Hmm, that's something we've kind of known for a while, right? Lignin, that's an interesting one. Lignin is a major component of the stuff that's leached into our aquatic environments, along with that other big player, tannins. Hey, that name tannin sounds familiar too. Now, tannins, according to chemists, are a group of astringent biomolecules that bind to and precipitate proteins and other organic compounds. They're in almost every plant around, and they're thought to play a role in protecting the plants from predation and potentially aiding in their growth. As you might imagine, they're super abundant in leaves. In fact, it's thought that tannins comprise as much as 50% of the dry weight of leaves. Whoa, that's crazy, right? And of course, tannins and leaves, wood, soil, and plant materials tend to be highly water-soluble, creating our beloved black water, at least aesthetically, as they decompose. As the tannins leach into the water, they create that transparent yet darkly stained water that we love so much. Now, we can go on for days talking about black water and really let you know that geology influences it more than leaves, but for our aquarium purposes, leaves have a big part in making that aesthetics of black water anyway. Now, in simplified terms, black water tends to occur when the rate of carbon fixation, which is known as photosynthesis, and its partial decay to soluble organic acids exceeds its rate of complete decay to carbon dioxide, a process known as oxidation. You may or may not have heard of that stuff. Chew on it for a little bit. Try to wrap your head around it. Google it. And sometimes the research that you do on these topics can unlock some really interesting tangential information which can be applied to our work in aquariums. Here's an interesting tidbit of information from science too that you might wanna think about. For those of you weirdos who like using botanicals and leaves and stuff like that in your aquariums but hate the brown water, and yeah, there's a few of you, you can add baking soda to the water that you soak your wood in and you know botanicals in to accelerate the leaching process as more alkaline solutions tend to draw out tannic acid from wood than pH neutral or acidic water does. Or you can simply keep using your 8.4 pH tap water and maybe that helps. So it draws it out more quickly, more rapidly. On the other hand, again, these tend to draw out tannic acid from wood and you know botanical materials more rapidly than pH neutral or acidic water does. So soft acidic water might take a little longer to actually tint up now that you think about it, right? So armchair speculation here is that this might be a good answer as to why some people can't get the super dark water they want for the long term. If you have more alkaline water, those tannins are more quickly pulled out. If you have very acid water, they might initially, you know, leach in gradually, but they might not last as long. Or it might take longer for them to build up to the color that you want. So you might get an initial burst, but the color won't last that long, or it might be uh, uh, forever a slow buildup until you finally get the color you want. Kind of maddening, right? It's something that we need to do a lot more research on. I'm doing a lot of speculation here. In In, in the end, I'm still a huge believer in the use of You know, reverse osmosis, deionized water exclusively for botanical-style aquariums, it gives us the best chance of not only manipulating water chemistry characteristics to those that we prefer, it also gives us the ability to, you know, reap maximum benefits from botanical materials, both aesthetically and functionally, in my opinion. We're also seeing a growing body of science-backed evidence that humic substances, which are a key component of, you know, black water or Um, botanical-influenced water, have significant health benefits for fishes, and they may be among the most important factors which contribute to their health in both the wild and in captivity. This sort of revelation backs up what many aquarists who dabbled with leaves and bark and other stuff for botanical-influenced aquariums, particularly beta breeders in Southeast Asia, have asserted for decades. In particular, it's thought that these compounds which are derived from botanicals have antifungal and antiparasitic properties and offer protection against oxidative, you know, DNA damage, and from physical stressors. With these health benefits now more clearly understood by science, there are actually more reasons than ever to appreciate the role that an environment which accumulates these humic substances can play in overall fish health. Although the health benefits to fishes are fascinating and actually somewhat of a game changer, like many hobbyists, my interests lie with the creation of the aquarium that presents a more natural-looking, functional aesthetic. The physiological benefits are sort of a collateral bonus, right? And it always seems to go back to leaves, doesn't it? Leaves, the jumping off point of our botanical obsession, they form a very important part of the aquatic habitats which we obsess over. It's been known by science that leaf litter and the community of aquatic animals that it hosts, according to one study, are of great importance in assimilating energy from the forest primary production into the aquatic ecosystem. There is something that calls to me, it beckons me to explore, to take note of these habitats and their intricate details, and to try to replicate some of their features in an aquarium. Sometimes literally, or sometimes simply taking components that I find compelling and utilizing them in my tanks. Nature fills in the details. Habitats like flooded forests and streams also function as a means to preserve the nutrients that would be lost to forests, which would inevitably occur if all the material which fell in the streams was simply washed away. The fishes, the crustaceans, and the insects that live in the leaf litter and feed on the fungi, the detritus, and the decomposing leaves themselves are really important to the overall aquatic habitat. So in this little world of decomposing leaves, submerged logs, twigs, and seed pods, there's a surprising diversity of life forms which call this milieu home. And each one of these organisms has managed to eke out an existence and thrive. A lot of hobbyists not familiar with our aesthetic taste will ask what the fascination is with throwing in, you know, palm fronds and seed pods and leaves into our tanks, and I tell them it's a direct inspiration from nature. Sure, the look is quite a bit different than what's been proffered as natural in recent years, but I guarantee that if you devoted, you know, some time to this and put on a snorkel and waded into one of these habitats, you'd understand exactly what we're trying to represent in our aquariums in, like, seconds, it would hit you immediately learning more about the dynamics of stream habitats and flooded forests and the ecology of surrounding terrestrial environments is just one fascinating and compelling area of the study that we as aquarists really need to do. Yeah, it requires study. It requires trying some new and seemingly wacky ideas, you know, accumulating detritus, decomposing leaves and epiphytic biofilm growth, stuff like that, and embracing some different aesthetics in our aquariums. Let's focus on the functional dynamic just for a second when we look to nature, it's increasingly obvious that we can replicate much of it in our aquariums. And now I'm going to read you a quote from a paper by a scientist named Mendonka, and it gives us some many cool things about the habitats that we love to replicate. I'm just going to read part of it here. Uh, let's see. In central Amazonia, terra firma environments, which are uplands that are not seasonally flooded, are drained by streams that have acidic waters due to the presence of humic and fulvic acids. These waters are poor in nutrients, and the forest canopy impairs light penetration to the stream surface, so aquatic plants are virtually non-existent. Oh, that's interesting, right? In these oligotrophic environments, food change are dependent upon our old friend here, I'm quoting you, material from the forest, such as pollen, flowers, fruits, leaves, and arthropods. So, Again, interesting. Alec bonus input, something we've talked about since, what, 2016, 2017, comes back into play. Studies indicate that an increase in species richness of more fishes is positively related to the habitat complexity and the shelter availability, as well as current velocity and stream size. And that substrate and depth and current speed are among the most important physical features in many bodies of water, which contribute to the formation of microhabitats all with this fascinating ecology and interesting environmental parameters and population diversity among fishes. There's a lot going on, stuff we barely tapped into in the aquarium world. Despite their impermanence, botanical materials function as diverse harbors of life, ranging from fungal growths and biofilm mats to algae to microcrustaceans, etc. Decomposing leaves and seed pods and tree branches make up the substrate for a complex web of life. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to consider, yet these natural components form the cornerstone of our methodology. Something to think about. Stay thoughtful, stay educated, stay observant, stay patient, stay diligent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.